Hello and welcome to our, I believe, 11th edition of the IDS Football Podcast. Um, I'm Taylor Lehman here with Jordan Gusky and Andrew Hussey. IU coming off of a kind of disappointing loss for the program. They were they had uh, they had the 10 point lead at towards the end of the third quarter. I believe with three minutes left in the third quarter and uh, ended up losing 45 to 31. Um, things just kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter for the mm-hmm. Hoosiers. They were playing well in the first three quarters against Penn State, but. Just kind of, it just kind of fell apart for them, and um, kind of a game that they they wanted. Got coming off of a two game win streak, and then having Penn State, and then moving on to playing Michigan and Ann Arbor. They kind of wanted the sixth win before they got down to the last two games. But anyway, right, Michigan, and then Purdue at home the week after. Um, so really, the Michigan's been their focus this week, um, but. We've talked about responding to success. Mm-hmm. Kevin Wilson's talked about responding to success for, for the program as a whole. Um, last year, you know, they went to the first bowl game since 2007 and they lost. And then they had they had six straight losses in the middle of their season last year right. before getting the final two when they needed them to get to a bowl game. Uh, it looks like it's going to be kind of a similar thing. They, they, they beat Maryland and Rutgers a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then they lost to Penn State. And now they're going to have to beat either Michigan and Ann Arbor or Purdue at home, which Purdue at home may not be as easy as we thought. So, um, Jordan, just kind of talk about how – how IU has responded to success and how they haven't responded to success. Well, I mean, if, you know, we, we talked about Penn State because it's the most recent, but it's something that's been really plaguing this team all season long. And you mentioned last season, but I mean, Florida International, you know, coming off of a pretty, a pretty good preseason, they start off really flat and only until the fourth quarter do they really get going. And then against Ball State, you know, they're up big and then they allow a lot of points late. Wake Forest, they kind of blow it. Michigan State. It's back and forth. Ohio State, they're with them, and then they can't really bring it in at the end. Same thing with Nebraska and Northwestern. They start off poorly. And even with Maryland Rutgers, two wins towards the end, even though you know they really won by two possessions really in both games because of cheap scores at the end for both Maryland and Rutgers, it's still showing you that this team doesn't really know how to close out a team. And that played really big when IU played Penn State this past weekend because IU's up 10 points, up 3 points in the fourth quarter, as you said, and then they leave, they allow 17 straight points to a Penn State team that offensively they had just stifled all game long. Mm-hmm. I mean, they held, they hold one of the nation's best running backs and the Big Ten leading rusher, Saquon Barkley, to 58 yards over the course of the game. I believe one quarter he had negative yardage. And before his, you know, one of his, I think he had a 21-yard run, and even then most of his carries went for negative yardage. So, I mean, you have all these good things going, and then this team just doesn't know how to bring it to a full four quarters. And so when, when you look ahead to games like Michigan and even Purdue, it's it's a big question mark. If this team can actually, if it gets out to a lead, can it actually keep that lead, stay in command of the ball game? Because it hasn't shown that it's been able to do that so far this year. You're right. You're right. It's, it seems like IU football is like a dog on a leash of mediocrity. <laughs> so so they're, they're, they're running forward. They're running ahead. The second week, they come off of a win in Miami. They're home. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, up, they're up 30 to zero on Ball State. And then they allow Ball State to score 20 straight points. You're like, oh, wait, this is IU football. you're yanking back on the leash. Exactly. You're yanking back on the leash. And the same thing. This week, you said they, they held Saquon Barkley the 58 points. They had the 10 point lead, yeah. or 58 yards. I mean, and they had the 10 point lead, and then all of a sudden they rushed for negative three yards. Mm-hmm. And the secondary allows 113 yards passing in the, in the fourth quarter, and and then Penn State just takes the lead, and then the fumble at the end to seal the win. Um, it just seems like I just keeps getting yanked back, and, um, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the play at quarterback. Um, 
Dude, he's, he threw five interceptions. Richard Lego threw five interceptions against Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's thrown he's had many games where he's had at least one interception. But coming off this game against Penn State, he had zero, and he played really well as well. Um, Hussey, you kind of talk about what we what we saw in Richard Lego, what we've seen in him this season, what we saw in I guess Penn State, kind of what we're expecting of him in Michigan. Yeah, it's been a really up and down season for Richard Lego. He's had a few really great games and a few kind of really bad games. I mean, you talked about how he had five interceptions in one game, so I mean. It's just been a bumpy ride with him. He he looks good one week and then immediately falls back. It's kind of like what we talked about. He's on a leash. He goes forward and comes right back. Yeah. I mean, against Penn State, he did look very, very comfortable. He's starting to get a little more comfortable as the season progresses. The last three weeks, he's completing nearly 64% of his passes. So, I mean, that's getting out there. He's starting to really find himself in the offense, and I think – against Michigan, they have one of the best secondaries in the country. I think they're allowing quarterbacks just to complete 44% of their passes. So he's going to be up against it all game long because they have a great pass rush. they got a great secondary. And we saw when he went on the road at Ohio State, it was more of a conservative game plan to get in the fourth quarter. And I think against Michigan, I don't know if you can really do that. I think you got to attack them downfield early in the game, get a few Nick Westbrook plays going because you might get down 14 nothing pretty quick if you don't attack quickly. Exactly, and early in downs too. Yeah. You know, I use third in the Big Ten and first downs, but they have a low third down conversion percentage. So they're getting first downs early, mm-hmm. and they need to continue to do that against Michigan State or against Michigan because Michigan has the best third down defense um, on third down in the country. Right. And so, so it's getting first downs quickly, um, getting down the field, as you said. And then maybe that kind of opens up the field a little bit for divine writing and the running backs as well. Um, one area that's kind of kind of struggled for IU. Um, but, yeah, Jordan, kind of talk about um, the the offense and, and kind of um, maybe the IU's offense against Michigan State or Michigan's defense, if you say Michigan State, Michigan's defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you touched on it right there, uh, just where you sent my way. They, they've just got to get great plays on first and second down to just get their drive started. Wilson's talked about it this past week that, you know, when, when you, and I think after the Penn State game, when you get those first couple plays that you know a drive's going to go well, you get those first couple first downs, that gives you the confidence to finish those drives. I mean, I, I use had and really for IU they, they've been able to get those first few drives that I think they were a successful drive but they always have that stopping liner on the 40 yard line of the opponent really mm-hmm. 40 or 30 and when Griffin Oaks isn't kicking like he used to last year that mean that leads to point that leads to punts and that means no points so for this team you know you, you mean you have to get those first couple first downs but you also you've got to get past the opponent 40 you've got to get in to a field goal range because I mean, this team just shown it. It hasn't really been able to do that consistently over the course of a game, and when that happens, the offense stalls. And while the defense, you know, for three plus quarters against Penn State was great and was holding Saquon Barkley and everyone else just to not a lot of yards, not a lot of production, when the defense finally broke, when the Penn State passing attack finally was able to get a couple guys behind the line, uh, behind the back line of the IU defense, that's when the game got away from the Hoosiers and. IU's defense showed when they when they got that stop to force a Penn State field goal that made it 38-31 instead of maybe 42-31, which would have put the game out of reach. The defense showed that they could come back from that kind of stop, from that kind of you know letdown, but the offense showed that it's still not there yet. It's not the offense of last year that could 
lay in games, just score at will, mm-hmm. and just you know really put the pressure on opposing defenses. Now it's I think you mentioned it after the game when it, it felt like when IU had the three point lead, it was the largest three point lead that IU had ever had in our years covering this beat. And you know they didn't keep it, but when they stopped him, as I said to those that field goal, I made seven points. I didn't feel like my maybe would have I maybe would have last year that this offense could have come back and gotten the points, tied this game up, sent it into overtime. This time I was thinking, well, do they have enough timeouts to stop Penn State again if yeah. they don't score? And unlucky for the Hoosiers, Lego gets strip sacked and the and the fumbles returned for a touchdown. And at that point, the game was over. And I was looking ahead to Michigan and, and Purdue in these final games of the year for IU when they're trying to get bowl eligible. If they don't get past the opponent 40, if they don't get into scoring range, there's just no way this offense, or this team's going to be able to really win a game. Yeah, exactly. And then um, I, I tweeted out a stat earlier today just looking at um, the last time it happened. Michigan always sends out a list of the last time it happened. And the last time I, the last time Michigan's allowed 500 yards to an offense, it was to IU last year in the double overtime loss. And it just, I, that offense seems like, this seems like it was so long ago. Oh, yeah, it feels like forever. Yeah, like Nate Southfield and Jordan Howard have been gone for like five years instead of just one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the IU offense has struggled. And, um, and I think a name that we've, that we've kind of, we haven't mentioned yet is Jabril Peppers, um, a possible Heisman candidate, um, just the, the linebacker defensive back for Michigan. He's played 13 positions this season already. And he, he leads the team in solo, he's, he leads Michigan in solo tackles and tackles for loss. And he's sec, he's tied for second in sacks and he just makes big plays mm-hmm. and he gets a quarterback too. He has eight quarterback hits. That's a lot of quarterback hits at this point yeah. in the season. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, Jabril Peppers just, He's definitely one of those game-changing guys um, that I think will have a big, a big um, influence on the game as far as special teams goes because he returns kicks and punts. And Michigan has the second best punt return team in the nation, and that's an area that we kind of we've seen IU struggle at this year. Penn State had some long punt returns. Oh yeah, and and I think uh, Jabril Peppers will be able to find some holes there. I think he's going to make a big difference on special teams. Um, but anyway, uh, Jabril Peppers, he's, he's, he's the obvious, the obvious kind of game changer in, in the playmaker. But when it comes to other aspects of Michigan's offense, there's, there's also guys like Chris Evans, the running back out of Ben Davis, who averages 7.8 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. And then you then Davion Smith out of the backfield, he has eight touchdowns. And then last year, I was Jehu Chesson. Jehu Chesson had 10 receptions for 207 yards and four touchdowns against IU last year. That was insane. Like, they just kept going to him. And But then now he's their third leading receiver. You, you have Amara Darbo and then uh, Jake Butt. And they, all three of them were on the team last year. So they've right. been playing together for a while. Um, there is a, a mix, a, a possible change of quarterback from Wilton Spate, who, uh, who was reported to have a fractured collarbone on his non-throwing shoulder against Iowa. Um, Jim Harbaugh hasn't really hasn't really confirmed that, and I think it's just for the purposes of game planning and IU's ter- in, in terms of IU's game planning, um, that, so that they have to prepare for two quarterbacks instead of just John O'Corn. But we've been hearing reports that it's going to be John O'Corn, and if it is John O'Corn, it's not somebody to really downgrade at all. Right. Like, no. He's almost on the same level as Wilton Spade, I would say. They, they, they had a lot of competition to determine who the quarterback was going to be, and it really came down to the wire to decide who the quarterback was mm-hmm. in the offseason. So 
Um, John O'Corn is a, quor- a quarterback who, as a freshman at Houston, threw forward 3,000 yards and found a ton of success before he was eventually replaced um, and then transferred. And and I, I I think the receiving core is what is going to help him the most. The receiving core, they're all experienced. Jake Uchesson's been here against IU before, and and Jake Butt as well. Jake Butt is a, an NFL prospect. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, um, Hussey, what what do you really expect out of this Michigan offense? And I know in your column you you compared Marcelino Ball to uh, to Jabril Peppers. We'll give you a chance to defend <laughs> that, but. Uh, yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? It wasn't that really that he's Jabril Peppers, but what he kind of brings to IU's defense is what Peppers brings to kind of Michigan's defense because Ball kind of brings that versatility. He can play as a cornerback, a safety, a linebacker, and really the IU defense goes as Ball goes. I mean, he struggled with in coverage against Penn State, and that really allowed Penn State to get deep and get touchdowns, and that's when IU's defense struggles, when Ball struggles. I mean, he's a freshman, but he's played like a pretty much a sophomore or junior all season. And if he can make some plays and maybe force a fumble or just get a lot of tackles, that can really slow down the Michigan defense because they have a lot of playmakers, but their quarterback is more of a point guard type quarterback. He's just trying to find the open man. And I think if they have really good coverage, you need to see a better game from Ashawn Riggins, another shutdown game from Rashard Fan. They don't have that like true number one guy that they can just throw it up to. So I think if the secondary can really improve the play, which you talked about, they want to come back and step up. If they can do that, they have a chance on defense. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about we're looking at IU's defense. T. Gray Scales, second most tackles in the nation. Um, Richard Fant, the most passes defended and pass breakups in the nation. And uh, Richard Fant, a very underrated cornerback nationally. Nationally, definitely. Not, not talked about. Like, T. Gray Scales, too. T. Gray Scales yeah. really isn't yeah. talked about that, that much. Yeah, that's why I, I would maybe disagree a little bit with Hussey there. I, I don't think IU's defense goes the way of Marcelino Ball at, at all, really. I mean, Marcelino Ball and H. Riggins, both great as incoming freshmen for this defense. People we did not expect to play this well mm-hmm. this early in their IU careers. I mean, I know talking to Ashawn when he was still in high school, he had this confidence about him, but I was. it was one of those things where I was like, okay, Ashawn, like, you're going to come in and start. Like, I like the confidence. Like, sure, you're going to come in here and start at a Division one program, <laughs> but at, in a Big Ten Division one program, but, but I mean, he did it, and he's showing that he's playing really well. And I, yeah, Marcelino Ball and Ashawn Riggins both had each had really one big mishap, and that accounted that really led to fourteen different I, Penn State points that weekend. But really, I think it's in the linebacking core where IU's defense lives and dies. If T. Gray Scales and Marcus Oliver are on point and doing their jobs, I mean, you were just mentioning T. Gray Scales is one of the best in tackling in the nation this year. Marcus Oliver somehow always finds a way to knock the ball out. He of does. I mean, his his ability to force fumbles is just on another level in this, I think in college football as a whole. So I, I really, I would, I would point to those two guys before I would point to Marcelino ball. Yeah. I would, I would actually agree with Jordan on this as well, because I recall back to the Michigan state game when Marcelino ball was targeted eight times in, in the passing game for Michigan mm-hmm. state and he allowed 83 yards himself mm-hmm. and they still won. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if the defense goes the way ball goes, but I think ball does have an influence and I think he has an influence more on the rushing game more than on the opponent's rushing game than what people would give him credit for. Right. But that was the purpose of the Husky position, right. was to be able to move him in the rushing game and also in coverage. But um, just kind of looking at IU's schedule, they've kind of struggled on road games. Uh-huh. Um, even in Miami, they, like you said earlier, Jordan, they didn't really get it in gear until the second half or even the fourth quarter. Yeah, they were losing by one yeah. point going in the fourth quarter. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, in Ohio State, 
um, the IU faithful, they're they're like, yeah, we played close to Ohio State, but really, really Ohio really. State could have dropped back and passed all over yeah. IU, but they, they, they never really had to. Yeah. Exactly, but they they won. Uh, Ohio State won thirty eight to seventeen, which is a huge win in terms of where those teams are right now. But then uh, losing to Northwestern was probably their worst. In my opinion, it was the worst loss because Richard Lego looked the worst that he had all season, and and the right and um, the defense looked kind of bad against Austin Carr and uh, and Justin Jackson. I, I don't I don't know if I, if I would say worst loss. I mean, this Penn State loss for me. I think I mean just seeing how the players reacted after the game. I mean, Northwestern they were disappointed. Uh, Mitchell Page was you know gearing up like seniors are going to get this ship set right, and they they started yeah. they started to play better, and I mean you started to see it uh, after that after that loss. But this really, this Penn State loss was kind of demoralizing. They knew they had a top ten win, like just in their grass, and it was like somebody just started. I don't know what the hose just like sprayed them off the way. I don't know, but they. Blew it. <laughs> the point is that they blew, they had the win and they blew it. I think that's probably the worst loss this this season. And I think also the Penn State loss builds on the loss to Nebraska at home as well. You know, they play all these good teams close at home, but yeah. this one just seemed like they were going to win it. And I think. Just these losses that we've seen recently, just kind of it's just beaten IU down more than we saw losses last year beat them down. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyway, they have struggled on the road. Um, Rutgers, they struck. They only beat Rutgers by six in New Jersey. <laughs> right. Um, they they had I believe it was four turnovers against Rutgers. But anyway, they're going to the big house. Um, how do you think if we're if we're talking upset here? If we're talking IU beating Michigan. What kind of an impact do you think that would have on the program? I think it would it would be it would be huge. Yeah, because we're seeing like highlights this week on ESPN and the different <laughs> show IU. It's all in Michigan. It's like they're promoting the game. So I mean, yeah. if IU is able to pull it off, that'd be very huge. Well, Michigan's also. I saw this. I saw the records today on the game notes: fifty-five and nine against IU all time. <laughs> IU is going for its tenth win all time against Michigan. I, I just I'm trying to. I can't really wrap my mind around what it would mean for IU if they won this game. I, I don't know if they would get too too much of a high and lose to Purdue because <laughs> we've seen that happen before. But I don't I don't know if that would maybe carry over into next season where there's a little bit more experience in this offense and almost all the defense is coming back. Right. But if they, if they could pull off the win, which I don't think they will, I don't think any of us think they will. But if they could, it would be huge looking forward. Definitely, I mean, I definitely it would be a big recruiting thing to look, to point to. I mean, Wilson would truly be. I mean, we thought they would be able to say it was a Michigan State win, but they can't. Yeah. But Wilson would truly be able to say, like, look, look how close we were in some of these games, and then look what we were actually able to do in the Big House against Michigan, against Jim Harbaugh. And just say, like, we, we shut down Drew Peppers or however they do it. If they do get the upset win, they would be able to say that. I think that'd be huge for recruiting. It would definitely pay dividends in years to come. I think they would ride it to a win over Purdue. Who knows what would happen in a bowl game because bowl games are bowl games. Yeah. But yeah. it would definitely lead to a 7-5 and five regular season record. And it would show that, you know what, Wilson's right. This team does have the maturity, the ability to react to success that it hasn't been able to show this year or last year. Yeah, I think it would also help if they could possibly get to seven wins this season. There were a lot of people were looking at the schedule saying, man, there are nine winnable games in the schedule. Absolutely. And right now they're yeah. sitting, yeah, I think we're all sitting there, mm-hmm. but they're, they're sitting at five and five right now going into the final two games. So I don't, I don't think the season it is not a success, but I, I also don't think it's. I, I don't I don't see it as a failure and I don't see it as a success either. I think these last two games are extremely important in determining what this season means for IU. But anyway, 
Um, thoughts and predictions. Uh, my prediction is that uh, Michigan, you know, Michigan runs all over, <laughs> all over IU. Um, it, it's in Ann Arbor, so it's kind of expected. But um, I would say maybe, I don't know, maybe a twenty-four point loss in this one for IU. Yeah, I mean, I, I go thirty-five twenty Michigan, just because. I, I mean, IU said the ability to play these really good teams close, so I don't think it's going to be too big of a blowout, but. I mean, if you just look at Michigan's schedule, the team that they, the teams that they've played that I used played. I mean, fourth week of the year, Michigan beats Penn State by thirty nine points. They beat Rutgers two weeks later by seventy eight, and then Michigan by nine, Maryland by fifty six. So, I mean, this this team is not going to be. I mean, we know, we're not saying they're going to be walking park, but this is not the average team that I is going to ever going to face. So, I, I think it's going to be tough. They're going to play well, but they're still going to end up losing this game pretty handily. I don't think they're ever really going to be in it. They're not going to make it look too terribly bad, but I don't think anyone's going to ever think, like, wow, IU has a chance to win this game. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a blowout in favor of Michigan, maybe a 40-7 to seven variety, because I think Michigan, they're in the playoff line, and they need every style point they can get. And, I mean, we saw the IU players kind of get demoralized after the Penn State loss, so I don't know how much confidence you have coming into the big house. And with a defense like Michigan's, they get a few stops and it gets out of hand pretty quick with their level of offense. So it could get out to maybe a 21-point lead. And at that point, I don't think IU has a chance of coming back. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Huzzy, the it's a battered IU team going into Ann Arbor right now, uh, confidence-wise, and, and they're playing one of the best teams in the country. So who knows Who knows where this uh, where this game could, could go, um, if IU could pull off the upset or not. Pro- probably not, but... Um, the game will be played 3.30 on ESPN, and uh, that, that's all we have for you. Um, once again, this is the IDS Football Podcast, and I'm Taylor Lehman here with Jordan Gusky and Andrew Hussey, and we will see you guys later.